0: Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, The Ringer is launching
1: a new podcast feed called Boom Bust. It's a new hub for narrative podcasts documenting the rise and fall of companies, celebrities, and trends. Season one, hosted by our own Alyssa Bereznak, takes you through this spectacular journey of HQ trivia the
0: once $100 million industry-altering company turned disaster. Alyssa interviewed dozens of former employees, investors, journalists, and fans, bringing you the -the behind-the-scenes story of how HQ crumbled from within. Subscribe to Boom Bust HQ Trivia and check out the first two episodes out now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Man, you... you're a weak-ass nigga, man. I'm a, I'm a nigga, Joe. You fucking brought this on yourself, man. You boys. You brought this on yourself. Man, you gotta be like this. Oh yo. niggas, man, BC, remember that? Come on.
0: Wet in your fucking pants. Like you a little boy. Be a man. Stand up like a motherfucking man. My nigga, Joe. Man, you said you was a fucking man. Stand up straight. That's us, man. Do God it, goddammit it. We are finally here at this episode, and, um, you know, Van, it's it's no matter how many times that I watch this particular episode, uh, which is episode 12 called uh, Cleaning Up from season one, it still affects me like I saw it the first time. Now, everybody knows uh, who have seen the episode, and especially the WIRE veterans, that the most significant thing and probably the top thing we'll spend the most thing talking about is the death of Wallace um, because it's still, I think the most memorable death of this entire series. There are some others that certainly deserve to be in the conversation, but I think this is the one that everybody comes back to. And we'll take a, a deep dive into who Wallace is. Again, we've talked about him before in previous episodes of this podcast, but we'll really get even deeper into his character and deeper into what his death meant. Um, But even though there's a lot of other things that kind of happen, I mean, this episode kind of begins and ends with what happens with Wallace.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one reason why the death of Wallace uh, is is so striking to people and it affects people, fans of the show, um, in such a real way Uh, even when you rewatch, no matter how many times you rewatch is because Wallace might be of the semi main characters or main characters of the wire. The only true innocent that ever really dies. Now, when you say that he's an innocent, you know, obviously he was participating in a drug uh, um, operation and he was a drug dealer. But in terms of like actual what he's done, the, the the dirt he's done, it seems as if Wallace represents innocence in the show. Anybody else in the show uh, in the future um, that dies, you can see where they had it coming. You can see where they had done enough for you to be able to rationalize in your mind that it was time for this character to go for, for whatever reason. But with Wallace... Not so much. It seems like of all the things that happen in The Wire, um, from a death perspective, it seems like the truest tragedy of, of, the, of the entire series of the show.
0: So other than Wallace's death, and I know it's kind of hard to put it to aside, side, but, but try for the moment, what was your biggest takeaway from this
1: episode? This episode is both sides trying to make sense of everything that's going on. Uh, both sides trying to make sense of I keep coming back to this uh the respective systems that they are in um it's now what and we 're gonna you know the next episode is kind of the conclusion of this now the the picture that 's been painted, everything that everyone is doing is coming into play, so when they say cleaning up, obviously they mean getting your house in order, but everyone 's been shocked. The police have been shocked uh, by the shooting of Kima. The uh, Barcel organization has been shocked by the level of the investigation that the, uh, the, the, the police have been able to mount against them. And this one is about everyone taking a step back and going, yo, what's going on? It's a perspective episode of The Wire. It's also something that HBO does a lot. Most times, if you follow an HBO series the best episode isn't the finale. The best episode is the second to last episode. It's actually the crescendo of the show. I remember back in Game of Thrones, I used to always say that something would happen in the second to last episode of, of Game of Thrones to where you'd be all on edge, and then the last one would be actually a breather. Um, And that's kind of what this one is. To me, this one is the best uh, the most emotionally gripping uh, and the, the tightest episode of season one of the wire. Yeah. I'm glad you
0: use that phrase getting everybody's getting their house in order because that doesn't just apply to the Barksdale crew who is tying up all their loose ends. Uh, it applies, I think to almost every character in here because um, you know, what struck me about this and it was something that I didn't notice as much in previous episodes. I don't know how. I mean, a lot of it has to do like Wallace's death was so massive and having to process that, uh, you know, kind of took up my sort of intellectual and emotional bandwidth, but Daniels is getting his house in order too. And Mm. this is a real reckoning for him in terms of him making an active choice in this, in this episode of what type of leader he's really trying to be. Mm -hmm. And, he starts to kind of mobilize and move in some ways that when you think about who he was at the beginning of this uh, this particular season and to what, what he has come along to, uh, it's been quite a 180. And so he's getting his stuff together. And even D'Angelo. D'Angelo is getting his stuff together too because there's some harsh truths and realities that he's having to face. And he's having to also have that gut check moment like Daniel's to – try to understand or at least come to terms with who am I really trying to be? Um, And so it's just kind of a lot of that, like really going around in this series um, or in this particular episode. So I'll I'll give people a a brief recap of what happens. As I mentioned a moment ago, Barksdale crew, they're starting to tie up some loose ends, which basically means murder. Um, They wipe out, they've already wiped out little man. Um, This is when we see Again, much to that gut check thing about Levy, about who he really is, because they literally sit down. He goes from being a lawyer and they literally sit down and take stock of who they need to kill. Well, order. He orders a, he orders a murder. He, he orders a murder, right? Yeah. And so the, to this point, you have seen him as the slimy lo- lawyer who is definitely and in a very crafty way maneuvering the system on behalf of his clients. But now you see, as, as you just pointed out, man, that this dude is out here actively getting people murked. You know, he's not pulling the trigger, but he's like, yo, you need to kill this person because we need to keep this going. It's like, hey, hold on now. Um, so it's Nakisha Lyles, it's Little Man, and of course, uh, the culmination is kind of uh, Wallace. And Nakisha Lyles, uh, for those who, uh, you know, need to remember, she's the witness who lied on the stand to ultimately exonerate D'Angelo in the William Gantt trial um, for his murder. And Wallace, he has made the catastrophic decision to not only returned from the country where he was being stashed by the police because you know he was so mentally affected by seeing what happened to Omar's lover feeling responsible for that happening that he makes this mistake to return from the country and to get back in the game yeah. and um which you know was considering his distaste, his displeasure, the fact that he was starting to be a customer as opposed to a supplier is quite a a turn for Wallace. Um, and who frankly got lost in the shuffle because the police were still dealing with the aftermath of Kima's shooting. Um, The police raid Orlando's in this. They finally get Avon, but Stringer walks. (laughs) Mm. Um, And D'Angelo, he gets popped by the cops for making the re-up run to New York. And when he finds out uh, and he finds out from them, rather, that Wallace was killed. And this is a pivotal moment for D'Angelo and his allegiance to his family as Levy and Stringer try to reason with him and get him to stay loyal. And also Daniels decides, you know what? Burrell and Clay Davis, I done had enough. Today's mm-hmm. the day, boy. Today with a TA hyphen d-a-y like today <laughs> daniels gets in some ass boy <laughs> Right? yeah he does he does so that's kind of all the the general breakdown of what happens here in uh episode 12 but you know we won't keep the people waiting let's just talk about wallace man and the way that he went out as i said a minute ago i don't think there's any death and when what's the the significant deaths have happened we can have this discussion again and you know, see if that holds up. But for me, this is the most, no question, the most significant death in the entire series is what happened to Wallace.
1: Yeah, it's the saddest. It's it's the one that seemed to be uh, the most preventable. It's the one that you kind of feel the most, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to say.
0: Well, one second, the... Van, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, um, but you said it's the most preventable. Why Mm -hmm. do you say that? Because I don't think it is the most preventable. I think it's the most sadly inevitable, but I don't know if I agree that it's exactly preventable.
1: Well, the reason why I say that it was the most preventable is because this is the one that if people would have just done what they said that they were going to do, then he wouldn't have died. And so, like, there there, there, there are other situations in the show to where... Um, big character deaths where everyone was out to get one person, right to where there were these big massive wars and there were these big huge vendettas um that were uh that that were going on and in order to kind of get these things in order to kind of to 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 kind of get to the end of these big huge schisms, these people had to die they were gunning for each other. well, nobody was really gunning for Wallace at a certain point. It, a, a lot of people had to fail for Wallace to get killed that like organizationally things had to fail from the Barksdale perspective D had to fail in what he and in, in trying to protect Wallace the police had to fail in trying to protect Wallace it seems like if anyone would have meant anything that they said throughout the entire um uh, first season that Wallace could have lived even his friends. His friends are the ones who killed him. So being that it was his friends that took him out, even if there would have been any sort of loyalty to the edict of friendship, Wallace lives. Like, hey, man, Stringer wants you dead. Like, skip town or whatever. But no, I understand they couldn't do that. But I'm just saying there had to be multiple failures on everybody's part. Not the last time we're going to see this in a wire. There had to be multiple failures on everybody's part that ended up in this kid getting killed. and that rings true um in a lot of ways it like by the time you see someone it, and it seems so uh, the the story is so cliche but by the time you see a kid lose their life to violence at the age of 16 there're normally multiple failures there's a failure of the system there's a failure of the schools there's a failure of the home life and these things converge and end up in one life being lost and I feel like this season, when you look at him, um, it, it, that's the way it happened. I mean, in the first place, the Barstayles must have not really known much about Wallace as far as who he actually was. Obviously, they didn't, or they might have known that throwing that body out there for that type of kid to get that in his mind wasn't really going to work for him. That's not like WeeBay and Bird and Stink were going to be like, hey, man, Wallace live right there. Don't throw the body out there. But it's obvious they don't understand the fragility of the minds of the young kids that live in there because they're not trying to make kids uh, with fragile minds. They're trying to make soldiers. And so if you can't handle it, you do die. So when I think about that, I think about all the things that had to happen for him to end up dead, all the people that had to turn their back on him. And that's why I say it's preventable.
0: Well, the only reason why I say it wasn't preventable and more inevitable is because of and, and this is why I even though I hate what happened to him. I love that the discussion that it brings out when it's discussed is that it was inevitable because Wallace is ultimately what really killed Wallace was his mindset. That's ultimately what killed him. And if we hadn't seen those glimpses of humanity in Wallace, if this if this happens, to another character who we don't see taking care of a bunch of abandoned kids, who we don't see has this childlike quality still to him despite the fact that he's in this grown man's game, there would be a different level of understanding for what happened to Wallace. We'd all be like, even though it's fucked up, two plus two does kind of equal four. And they knew, as Bodie even said himself, his heart puffed Kool-Aid. They knew from the beginning this dude was not cut out for this. And that's why despite... The fact that he gave them the information, because technically from just an overall standpoint, he gave them the information to ultimately get Brandon killed. That's considered to be a sign of loyalty. That's considered to be a good thing. The problem was that there was this belief in his inner crew. D'Angelo knew it. Bodie knew it. Poot knew it. That Wallace was not cut out for this. This was not what he could do. If he were more of a soldier like Bodie, like if Bodie's in that position, I don't know that Bodie gets snuffed. Because they all know what kind of dude he is, and that he gonna carry his. Um, it is part of the reason why you know Weezy, when uh, you know he was considered and, and revered as much as he was, because they knew he was a soldier. They knew no matter Bo- what happened, Bodie might have killed. Bra- Bo- Bo- might have
1: killed Brandon himself. Exactly,
0: he uh, might have right. to get in on it, right? <laughs> right, because that's the type of dude that he was. So part, and that's what I think does make this so so sad is that Wallace he was forced into a lot of these, these circumstances that he didn't necessarily earn, you know, in this, um, in this particular, you know, episode uh, you know, we get a, a glimpse of what his home life was like because the cops pay a visit to his mom when they're trying to find out where he is. He's taking care of these abandoned kids. He's living in an abandoned home. There is just certain inevitabilities this person is going to face that makes his death no longer preventable. His death is definitely inevitable, especially in a game like that. And once he decided, after being away in the country, to come back to the game, it was just like he was signing up for what happened to him, unfortunately. Now, it was colder because it was by two of his boys who had been with him every day. But, again, even says himself, that's the game, yo. That's the fucking game. And Wallace was the person who... It might as well have been him when when D'Angelo has that that great scene when he's trying to teach, you know, Bodie about uh, when he's trying to teach both of them about how to how to play chess, right. Bodie was sort of listening but not listening, but the one who really needed to listen to that was Wallace. He was mm-hmm. the one who really needed to absorb that because he didn't realize what game that he was playing, and ultimately, that's how he wound up dead. What's interesting about that scene itself, just breaking down, you know, when he was murdered. It's the treachery of his friends. That obviously jumps off the page. But Bodhi had been giving him all this shit about how he wasn't a man. And about, he hesitated. He hesitated. He yep. couldn't do it. His hand was shaking. And, yep. you know, I watched the scene over and over again. And what also jumps off the page to me is that Poot shooting him. And I know I was tough on Poot earlier in, in a previous episode poot shooting him wasn't an act of cruelty it was actually an act of mercy because mm. bodie was sitting there hesitating so badly and he didn't want to hear wallace continue to beg for his life that that's why he got angry it was like man just shoot him and he yeah. made sure that he was dead because he was putting him out of his misery because he knew you know what he didn't want to sit there and see his friend in that position
1: yeah um Couple of things. Number one, I don't think Wallace's heart pumps Kool Aid at all. I think he's the he has the, actually the only heart that pumps blood. I think that uh, I think that everybody else's heart <laughs> in that situation was pumping kerosene or cyanide or something like that. Um, and when we talk about, it, it's funny in that scene, Bodie is 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 talking about stand up and be a man, be a man. You piss in your pants. Well, Wallace is the one who was taking care of the kids. Wallace was the one that was always honest about his emotions and honest about what he was going through. Um, Wallace was the one who could confront the the frailty in him that makes what I believe to be a comprehensive man. The type of man that makes you able to to feel people around you and cater to their needs and have responsibility um, and have the things within you. That leads you to community build and lead you to be able to touch hands with people and stuff like that. Wallace was demonstrating those things. He was demonstrating true manhood. Now, it, was he some type of demon who didn't have a conscience um, and, and and didn't want people to, to to feel mercy and to feel joy and to and to to, to be hurt? No, he wasn't. That's Bodhi's idea of manhood, and that's the idea of manhood that kind of makes. Uh, these things cyclical, so when you sit there and uh, you watch Bodie, really, it was the child who had the gun in his hand. It was the stunted, mentally individual who didn't understand the world and didn't understand manhood. That's the one that had the gun in his hand. Um, Poot was along for the ride. The Poot scene is is is, is it, Poot shooting him is uh, just it's so sad because. You know from that situation, that's just how things have to be. Um, they didn't have a choice. It came directly from Stringer. If they didn't do it, they were dead too. Bodie had convinced Poot of that. And so what Poot wanted to see, he wanted to get that day behind him. The day had to come. They walked him up there. Poot did it with his head down. Now it's time to move on to the next day and the next terrible thing that's going to happen in his life. It was interesting when the cops were looking for Wallace when they... When they uh, got to his mother I uh, find out that you know Wallace is actually his last name Um, but like you, you you, they get to his mother and they're trying to impart upon his mother the earth that put the seed on the ground Um uh, that her son is in trouble they need to get with her son these are two police detectives and the only thing she can talk about is the fact that he got $10 off her and that she's trying to get a drink on and God damn it. Every time I see that scene, that scene bothers me as much as the actual murder does. Her son's life is in the balance and her thoughts are on the bottle. And, you know, it, the, the writers of this show, they really, it's a nut. It's a nut punch, a nut kick, a gut punch, whatever you want to call it. Watching this kid go, uh, but they don't pull any punches on this show, and in this particular sh- in this particular world, uh, the good die young. And he was just a good kid, man. And,
0: and it was intentional that they killed Wallace. Um, you know, and, and just reading the backstory about what Simon was thinking, and um, in terms of why he chose Wallace and Michael B. Jordan, uh, he says it, I think, very eloquently in all the pieces matter in Jonathan Abram's book that Wallace. He purposely wanted to take the heart out of the show, and very in a lot of ways, Wallace, uh, on the criminal side, was the heart of of what was happening there within the the, the Barksdale op- operation. Heart in a way, not as in cold blooded like Wee Bay, but heart in a way is that he was a reminder of the the true toll that the game had on young people and really people. Period, because. You now, D'Angelo, part of the reason why he took to Wallace is because he looked at Wallace as a kindred spirit. He remembers being like Wallace. The only difference between him and him and Wallace is that D'Angelo had more family. He had more support. He had more of a twisted family, don't get me wrong, um, in some respect. Uh, whereas Wallace was more out on his own, but he identified with him because they both kind of wished that they were not in the life that they were in. He was trying to give Wallace a chance, the chance that he was never offered. And it hit D'Angelo the hardest because he wasn't successful in in doing that. He had done a lot of dirt. He had done a lot of things that he wasn't proud of. And it seemed like he wanted to make Wallace the one project that he got right. And ultimately... You know, because it was a big deal when when String and Avon were pressing him in his office, in, a- in their office in Orlando's, when they were asking for his whereabouts. And D'Angelo, who you don't see at this point do it that often, he defied them by not really telling them, you know, by saying, like, why? Just question them, like, why do you want to, why? You know, mm-hmm. and that right there kind of communicated or conveyed just how much he had come to, Love Wallace, you know, and which is a danger in in the game that he's in. But I think overall, you know, people looked at Wallace's death as so significant, not because Wallace is the exception it's because he's the rule. And that's what makes this so sad. And seeing what his home life was about, that there was nobody that really cared about Wallace, his friends who up until this point, we're thinking that they have a pretty tight relationship And that they were the ones that did him in was super significant because that had kind of been the theme of Wallace's whole life. His mother did him in, his friends did him in, and the game did him in. And that's why he wound up being murdered in an abandoned house with, uh, and I don't know if people caught this, with urine running down his leg. Because he actually peed on himself um, as he was begging for his life. And I think they brought these grim details. They made us face this murder differently than other murders and other killings that you've seen in The Wire Um, because they wanted viewers to be stuck with the gravity and the weight of it all.
1: Yeah. Even in that scene, Bodhi looks at him and goes, stand up like a man, you're peeing your pants. Like, it's such a stupid thing to say. You're about to die. Who cares? Like, there's no tomorrow. Like, who, like, if, (laughs) like, dignity in your last moment, um, only matters if it's going to affect somebody else right if you're if if you're sitting there and you have information and you're telling everything and then you still die and you're going to get somebody else killed then no you went out like a soldier if you're like you're in the CIA and you you get the cyanide pill the, so you die James Bond style so they can't get any information out of you but right there like he's a person he's feeling he's he's in an anxiety fight or flight situation um bodie's still holding on to stupid rules like as far as D'Angelo is concerned, the scene where D'Angelo uh, bucks back at Stringer and Avon is one of the most important scenes of the season because that's the first time that D'Angelo was able to find his courage. Like, it, like it, 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 he had told everyone else around him that the game was costing too much, except for Stringer and Avon. He had told it to his girl. He had even told the police. He had told it to his other underlings. The only people that he had, the only person, uh, people he had not said, yo, chill out, were those two guys. Hadn't really talked to them about it because that's not the way he was raised. He was raised to be lockstep in that drug game with those guys. So when he does that, it's almost like the purity of who Wallace is helped D'Angelo find his courage. And obviously it led to be somewhat um, of a breaking point with him as far as um the realism of a kid like that being killed another reason why i think it's so uh like it affects me so much um is because like when you grow up you, you know the guys that shouldn't be out there doing that and then when they when they get backed up or when they go to jail um or almost as worse when they transform because something else happens. Sometimes the Wallace's of the world they adapt. Um and sometimes you 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 leave them at 16 uh like that and their survival instincts kick in and by the time they're 17 or 18 they're even worse than anybody else out there because they've had to adapt. But kind of taking him out of the show is it's different than other deaths. Like in season, I think it's two of the Sopranos. Um, something similar happens to where uh, um, Tony has to kill Big Pussy, um, and it's a hard scene to watch because you know that Tony loves Big Pussy. You know that that's like his, like like his 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 best friend. Um, but you know, Pussy was working with the government. Puss Puss was uh, doing things he had decided and he had been informing much like Wallace is kind of the same thing but these scenes differ to me in that when, when you watch it this is the wire getting you ready for the rest of the trajectory of the show and saying we're not going to hold anything back we're going to torture you as a viewer sometimes we're going to make you go through it. And the characters that you love, you're going to see some of them go. You're going to see some of these people kill. It's not like we're, gonna, we're not going to sugarcoat anything for you. Like that's almost a documentary scene. Tough scene to watch, especially like in the, in the <laughs> I'm not going to lie, in the situation we're in now, I had to actually go back and watch Black Panther after this and be like, <laughs> just to feel better. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, Wallace survived. But then right. he didn't. At the end,
0: became, you know, well, like you know. Wallace
1: went away, and Wallace became that. Wallace came back, and he went for Wakanda. And then at the end, he still got fucked up, right? So he uh, became but, kind, of, uh, kind,
0: of, kind of a maniacal dictator in a way. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, he, he tried to liberate, but just right. in a
1: very heavy-handed right. kind of way. <laughs> but but I don't know if people listening to this podcast can hear it. I'm very emotionally connected to this particular scene and this particular character, man. Because I knew this kid, I knew this kid, I I like I I did, and it's it's just hard to watch. But once again, it's what makes the show, uh, such a singular piece of art.
0: Well, that's why I said it, you know Wallace is the rule, and um, I think so many people who watch it can identify with him. You know, it's interesting because I think that before D'Angelo is told by the police that Wallace was murdered, I think his bigger, I mean, uh, equally big disappointment for him is when Wallace came back. Oh, look at this country, nigga.
1: Damn,
0: Wallace. Wally. When Wallace came back, and then when D'Angelo brings up uh, something that Wallace had planted as a seed, that he was going to go back to school. And when he brings up him going back to school, and Wallace is, you know, like, nah, that basically is telling him that's not going to happen. It's kind of like, you know, D'Angelo, uh even though he sees these things happen all the time, his level of disappointment is so severe cuz the look on his face is is kind of heartbreaking because he thought that Wallace was going to be different. I mean, he was really looking at him as somebody who was going to become the outlier, who was going to become the exception to the things that he always saw happening around him, and it just kind of crystallized to him that I think in that moment, maybe he didn't think that, you know, Bodie and Poot or that his his family, that Stringer, you know, by proxy would be the one kind of pulling the trigger on Wallace. But I think in that, mo- in that moment, he had to know that this is only going to end one way for Wallace um, and that's not going to be good. And, and, and jail time, I don't think looking at the the progression of Wallace, I don't think jail time was going to be a way it was going to end for Wallace, particularly since he had already been cooperating with the police. And yeah. so that was the thing that kinda hurt about it is that even though um, you know, Wallace had all these care these redeeming qualities about him and that he was very much innocent and naive, the hard part is accepting the fact that there are parts of his death that even he earned. Because Yeah, the, he you, broke there, he broke the most important rule. He, he broke the most important rule and to know that you know, when Stringer and Avon and Levy are sitting around on the legal path figuring out who's a weak link, he his name comes right up. Mm-hmm. And so even though they don't know on that level, uh, you know, guys like Wallace, because they're further on down the food chain. But the fact that this was kind of a sense that somebody like that is a liability, it just kind of made it a death that was just so uh, that much more difficult you know to kind of to kind of take. So I just say this, one more thing. I'll say I yeah. say one
1: more thing. There was another character in The Sopranos that died because they weren't cut out for the game, but it was a completely different reaction to it. Did you watch The
0: Sopranos? I did, but I, it's been a while since I saw it, so you're going to have to probably remind me.
1: So uh Richie April's son, Jackie uh, yeah. I, I, uh so Jackie Jackie April Um, excuse me, Jackie April Jr., not Richie April's nephew, uh, came into the show and it was obvious he wasn't cut out for the organized crime life, right? Like, it was obvious he wasn't cut out for it and he was just going to piss Tony off until Tony had to have him killed. Um, When that character died, everyone was like, good. (laughs) Because the mistakes that he made hurt other people. The mistakes that he made like, got other people in trouble and got other people messed up and he was just ruining everything. These guys barely knew who Wallace was. They barely knew who Wallace was. They knew that Wallace had, you know, Wallace thought about snitching, but then he didn't snitch. He actually didn't snitch. He thought about snitch. It just shows you, he, 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 he told, but then decided not to. He wouldn't have snitched. Um... So it's just a world where any perceived weakness and also not just weakness, but relative unimportance, because remember, but there are other characters who go through this almost exact same arc who are not carelessly and ruthlessly killed, at least at the outset, who are given enough rope to hang themselves. Ha ha ha. Um, uh, whereas There's Wallace, to follow, eh? <laughs> right, right. Um, whereas Wallace, because it's not just because he made the mistakes; it's also because he didn't matter. And yeah. you know, even that in the was world a huge today, proponent of it. Yeah, even in yeah. the world today, you see what happens to the people who don't matter.
0: Yeah, I mean that, and that's that plays so much into the theme of his life. He didn't matter to his mother. He didn't matter to his friends ultimately, and he certainly didn't matter to the police because they forgot about him. Yeah, and. and uh, didn't check back um, on him as they're trying to stash him away. They didn't even have the money to properly secure him. So they forgot about him. And then the the Barksdale organization, he was, he was disposable. And yeah. they'd rather um, get rid of him than sacrifice uh, or even run the risk of sacrificing anything that they felt like that they had worked hard for. So just, just a tough scene, I, I am curious, though, because I, I know I think we we both kind of agree that come at the king, you best not miss is probably the most iconic wire phrase uttered mm-hmm. in this series. Yeah. But I would I would put Where's Wallace right up there.
1: It is. Where's the boy String? D'Angelo, shut your mouth. Where's Wallace? That's all I want to know. Kid, you better think. Where the fuck is Wallace? Huh? Strange. Strange. look at me. Look at me! Where the fuck is Wallace? Huh? Don't want this Payless way, motherfucker representing me. I'm gonna get my own man, all right? So just get back in your car and get the fuck back down south. All right, you stupid motherfucker. You made the decision. Yeah, I made my decision. Where's Wallace at? Where the fuck is Wallace? Where's Wallace, String? String! Where the fuck is Wallace? Yeah. I, I will put that right up there. It's top five. It's top five in that, and it's a, a top five acted scene. Yes. In the are oh, we going to get to best scene now? Is it time, oh, for, weird. Best time for best scene? I have a best scene, so uh, unload. I have a couple of them. Obviously, the best scene in this episode is Wallace's death scene. It's one of the, the best scenes in Wire history. One of the weightiest scenes. Some of my other favorite scenes, just starting, is number one the chili dog argument. I, that's that's. The chili dog argument to me is one of the funniest moments in wire history. It's like, oh, I'm going to eventually rank the funniest moments like in the history of the wire. The chili dog, I love the chili dog argument. Not even. Can you get that dog right now? No, you cannot get that dog right now. I'm not talking about in the history of the world. I'm talking I love the chili dog argument. Love it. Would you Well, would, well one thing though that is often it feels like, especially
0: in season one, I, I don't remember if this plays out the way in season two, but the reference to food played in The Wire is pretty damn good, especially yeah. in the next episode that's coming up with Wee Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, But you had the Chili Dogs, you had the Chicken McNuggets. We talked about mm-hmm. the Lake Trout sub. They do yeah. food justice up in, up
1: in this uh, series. Yo, we locked in the house. I, I'm like, if we'd have been doing this, the way we thought we were gonna be doing this podcast, you know, where I would be one of these weekends in Baltimore with a list, getting all of these different things to eat, man. The show we in here, I'm eating the same shit every day. Like this is making me hungry. Anyway, anyway um, go ahead. So uh, I, I obviously I love the chili dog scene. Obviously, where's Wallace is a fantastic scene. A lot of these are Wallace heavy when D learns about Wallace's death um, uh, from McNulty, D'Angelo, Larry Gillard Jr. is just fantastic as D'Angelo throughout the entire series. Um, But in this particular episode, he is acting his ass off. Because
0: most of it was done with facial expressions.
1: Yeah, he is acting his ass off. So I would say really... Those scenes and obviously, you know, debunking to Avon and Stringer. The cops don't have as many great scenes in this particular episode to me um, as does the Barsdale organization. So those were some of the ones that I liked. Oh, I would like to say something else, by the way. Before Wallace dies, where do they go? Oh, when they go to get something to eat? Don't go get something to eat. You, if you're right. a you criminal in out. the wire, you pointed
0: this out. Don't
1: go get something don't to ever eat. Do it when you get something to eat. Either something bad has happened, or something bad is getting ready to happen. Don't eat. Well, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come back to this again because this is gonna happen again. Y'all don't think it's gonna happen again? It's gonna happen again. Don't eat.
0: Well, it, it's. Uh, I, I'm glad you pointed that scene out because. Wallace, you know, we were talking about how Bodie was always coming for him in terms of his manhood. But I thought he he checked Bodie super hard when he was like, "Hey, man, you ain't got to be so goddamn hard all the time all the time, yeah, the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it, it's kind of if you think about it, considering that Bodie flinched and that he wavered and that he looked shook about killing him, that's kind of a full circle moment, right? Because mm-hmm. he's just like Absolutely. he already he basically was telling him, like, dude, you ain't that hard, man. Like you up right. here acting like you, you just fucking bulletproof right now. Yeah. And I know you're not that dude. So stop fronting all the fucking time. And then that comes back where you see Wallace was right. It's like this dude is not nearly as hard as he said. As for me, um, in terms of best scenes, uh, I thought McNulty admitting something that we've no, always known to be true when he said uh, at the hospital that Avon Barksdale was just a way to show everyone how smart I was and how fucked up the department is. We've always known that to be true about Jimmy, but I thought what uh, in general, Kima being shot has forced him to kind of, I'm not going to say that he goes through some massive personal changes, but it at least forces him to accept and be real and honest with himself about the type of guy that he truly is. Absolutely. Yeah. Daniels. He had two epic confrontations with both Burrell and Clay Davis that I thought were maybe outside of Wallace, the two best scenes in here. Mm. And what he says to them is one part of it. But a small thing that I don't know if people notice is that Clay Davis, because up until this point, we saw Clay Davis smiling and laughing at the party. And, you know, that was it. Now Mm. you're seeing Clay Davis for real and what made this character so memorable clay davis goes from professional to i wish a motherfucker would in about 32 seconds that that
1: transformation from him he is I, I, like he's he is trying like he is hey i'm clay davis hi i would like to know why you're you're looking into it whatever you need whatever you need irvin will you tell this motherfucker he remind me of my granddaddy but like seriously i love that Because he thinks that Daniels is going to play ball. He thinks his presence in that room is going to be enough to make Daniels call off the dogs in any way. And when he doesn't see that, he goes ham so quickly. I love that scene. Brilliantly played. Yes. Irv, will you explain to this motherfucker just what the fuck it is he's doing here?
0: And then when he has that conversation with Burrell and... And he just was dropping bars on Burrell, just dropping bars left and right. He's like, you'd rather live in shit than let the world see you work a shuffle. I was like, oh, shit, Dale's coming off the top rope, right? Right. And when he is so unfazed and unbothered by Burrell having this file of shit that he did in the Eastern, he's like, all right, if you want to do me. I would already be done. I am already what? be done. Which yeah, I'm gonna not do? scared of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah dog. He, he, and he let him know. He's like, look, I know between the two of us, you might try to uh, destroy my reputation, but you don't want these headlines that's coming out of this as he reminded him. Mm. I'm not the only person who got some dirt on their name from that particular time in his career. And that's, and that's a
1: very that's very important in Daniel's, is, in Daniel's yes, character. in his story arc. Yeah. Um, and then there were some things that,
0: there were some scenes that I would probably put in the, it shouldn't be funny, but it's kind of funny <laughs> because mm-hmm. when uh and when Avon Stringer and um and Levy are going over their hit list and it, they bring up Natasha Lyles and Avon called her a bug eyed bitch and I really I was like, Sir, hey, sir, did you was, You have no heart.
1: They are ordering the murder <laughs> of a he's of like, a citizen. Bug
0: eyed bitch. I was like, damn. It's already yeah. enough. You murder her. Must you? Right. Must you? Uh, call for her execution and call her a bug-eyed bitch. Like, mm-hmm. really? It's crazy. And Natasha helped you, know, you out, Nikisha, it, Rather,
1: sorry. You know, it, 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 it's like watching the show. Avon Barksdale is one of my favorite characters in Wire history. Top five, probably number one. I have an affinity and a love for Avon. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. These guys are fucking terrible. Right. These guys are terrible, man. These guys will use anybody, kill anyone, do anything. There's this weird thing, and it's it, it, like I, it, it, it's almost it's 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 not anything that's novel, right? It happens in other situations. It happens with Michael Corleone. Um, although I did manage to hate Nino Brown throughout the entire New Jack City movie, never had any love for him. He was just kind of cool. But like, when you look at it, even the scene you're talking about right there, what the show does is the show pulls you back so far, the wire does, from your own morality. It pulls you, no other show is able to do that. It pulls you back so far from your own morality, even in Breaking Bad, at the point that, That that Walter really transforms, you're like, all right, now. Walter doing too much now. He's not, I just started breaking bad, by the way. Okay, he's fully morphed. Okay. Right. But in, in this movie, it's like you're watching this world from like another planet. Because think about what the scene you're just talking about. Avon had that woman who did exactly what he wanted her to do, hit. I killed an innocent lady, probably might have had some kids running around. He created the, the nature, he probably created some more Wallace's and some more Bodies. And put like you just it's just crazy when you think about how masterfully it's done.
0: The only show where I think I had that feeling was probably Game of Thrones, where th- this is how I knew in Game of Thrones. Uh, there was a point in Game of Thrones, rather, where I knew I had like gone off the edge. I was like, Who have I become now? when I was like. Rooting for uh Jamie and Cersei to hook up, I was like, why am I rooting for? It? Why am I rooting for incest? This is ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you I root like, for all kind of murders, and you like, damn, like who am I right now?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm be real with you, sister. That's one that you might have wanted to file this away later in the back of your mind with the whole incest deal. Like, I want people to put this on Twitter. Jamel no, right. Hill. Why are you pro always incest? encouraging them to no, come No, I'm out. just I'm like. like oh, I, uh, can, I can uh, see uh, the bright bright headline now. Jamel, uh, uh, right. big fan of incest. <laughs> Jamel J- Hill. I love the incest in Game of Thrones. If I was working out, if I was still working at that other joint, do, do, doof. Like, and then it just comes in right there. Jamel Hill says, Game of Thrones, incest, it's all for me. You gave a thumbs up to it.
0: Well, I will say this. If, I mean, I was like, okay, all right. I kind of I, I I started to see it and then <laughs> Wait, but when I knew I was off the deep end because I was actually mad at Jon Snow, who was appalled by the fact that he was boning his auntie. I'm like, why? Everybody else doing it. Everybody else doing it. Why, that's the are, Westeros you way. Different now. You too sediddy to bone your auntie. That's where we at right now. <laughs> so that's yeah. when you know a show has fully got you in their grasp. Another kind of funny. It shouldn't be funny, but it is funny. So when the cops, of course, when they, as we mentioned, they go to play, they go to pay Wallace's mom a visit. Let her they're trying to find him one and let her know your son's in danger, so you really need to find out what's up with him. She goes, she's pissed about the $10, and she says, I'll slap the bright out of his eyes.
1: Yeah. I've never heard that
0: one. I had never heard that.
1: I have never heard that one. I've never heard heard, heard, the black off of you. Heard that. I've heard slap the attitude off you. I've Mm -hmm. heard Jap. My mother used to say, I'll jap slap the piss out of you. I don't know what that means. Um, a, like, like a, like a yap slap, a jap slap, all of those things. I've never heard. I'll slap, I'll smack the bright out of your eyes. You don't. Like, mama, that's you a want new me Yeah. Well, I can't have no brightness in my eyes, mama. I'm a young boy,
0: no? right? I mean, in yeah. bright eyes. Your eyes are technically supposed to be bright because you know the whites of your eyes. And she's yeah. like, oh, you can't even have that. Like, yeah. I'm gonna slap mm-hmm. that out too. And I was like, bright. ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we dealing with, um, a real one here. Uh. In terms of uh, who we meet in this particular episode, we meet Brianna Barksdale, D'Angelo's mm. mother. Who's that? You new girl or something? Nah, right, right, nigga, that's my mom. How long did it take you to realize that wasn't his girlfriend?
1: <laughs> at first... At, at first, like, I was at, like, is that his what happened to Donetta? <laughs> yeah, when I when I first started watching the show, I had trouble with that. I was like, she doesn't look old enough to be his mom. And like they all. made that, they made that point. Um uh when Wallace is right there talking with him. Uh, but yeah, a character that's gonna go on to represent such a gigantic part of the show. I feel like pound for pound, Brianna is one of the most important characters for what she For the role that she plays in The Wire, what she means to Avon, how she uses and gets used. It's like just another way that they just kind of casually introduce a character that's going to mean a lot. And in a very short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Um, The only character, I mean, meaning, though, that that does make give it a different distinction. Distinction. The only character I'm probably would kind of think rivals that. Um, but it's just different because their personalities are similar. But you know, one of them is definitely more about that life than the other one. It would probably be Bay's girlfriend. Mm. That's a that's a whole podcast right there. She, yeah. she is a whole podcast, right? So that's yeah. the only person. But I think that, that this introduction to Brianna is like um, Brianna is very pivotal into what happens the next two seasons of the wire um i mean and she leads kind of right into her appearance leads this right into uh file this away for later moments um because her you know promising uh avon that d'angelo is going to start staying tall for the barksdale family because she quote raised that boy right file that away for later for sure yeah and there's a lot what were some of your file this away for later moments
1: Politics are start starting to show up in the actual show, and you're starting to see kind of some of the political machinations that go on in the show. And politics, uh, as a whole, are going to be a gigantic part of the wire moving forward. It's going to get real deep. This is one of the first episodes where we start to see how what Major Crimes is doing is going to affect. Um, sort of the political life and the political futures of people and 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 vice versa this is one of those episodes where you've, you 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 first sort of start to see that um uh Bodie and Stringer's connection that's so, a big one so when uh Stringer orders Bodie to kill Wallace it he indoctrinates uh, indoctrinates Bodie and we're going to see Bodie's role grow That was Bodie proving himself to Stringer. Now, Stringer, earlier in this season, um, had called and asked D'Angelo if Bodie was somebody that had any promise that they should maybe bring home. Maybe is there anything, could Bodie be the next WeeBay, the next Stink, the next Ronnie Moe, the next guy that they had running something somewhere? Uh, When he asked him to put in the work with Wallace, we're going to see something between Bodie and String develop not quite a big brother little brother sort of uh sort of relationship but something akin to that um and it, it, that's going to be another person that stringer is, is is going to come to rely on or going to be able to delegate to uh, uh in a meaningful way that and that's going that's some of their first face I remember earlier in the season stringer had come through the pit to try to uh and uh, to 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 talk to D'Angelo and Bodie had tried to dap him up. Stringer wouldn't even dap him, and now he's putting faith in him to take care of something for the organization. Which you know we talk about Stringer. It just shows you that Stringer does know how to get things accomplished and how to get things done when he needs them to get done, and he can see in people a lot of times uh, their pressure points, their weaknesses, and their ambition. Another thing about being able to run a successful drug organization is, is, is of all the people that were down there sitting there talking about uh, during the chess scene, you know, if I get to the end, I'm the top dog. If I, if I do, it was Bodie who was asking those questions. Bodie was asking the questions about how he eventually becomes somebody who calls the shots. Stringer wasn't even there for that scene, but he could feel that Bodie was the one that wanted more. Bodhi was the one that was showing initiative Bodhi was the one that was sticking out had a little bit more rank on those guys anyway and so it's almost as if he were listening to the chess scene and then he goes and asks Bodhi to carry something out and Bodhi does it Um, and of course the biggest father's away for later for me is D'Angelo Bucking with Avon and Stringer Uh, that's going to be a huge 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 part of the relationship between Stringer and Avon moving forward of the relationship between D'Angelo and those two guys and about uh just kind of the trust that that exists at the top of the Barcell organization
0: it is amazing when you were talking about Bodhi it, it's amazing how much a drug organization is just like corporate America it's just amazing how much it is is that here mm. you have somebody in Bodhi young ambitious looking to move up the ranks looking to please his superiors you know all the things that you would say with somebody working at an accounting firm so it's just amazing how much those are modeled after what we see every day in 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 working life uh you mentioned how politics becomes a, this is a precursor to how politics becomes uh, it takes on a bigger role in the wire um definitely a file this way along along those same lines a file this way for later moment is when lester notices that Uh, that newspaper headline in The Sun that the Downtown Rehabilitation Project is about to get $250 million in grants. That's a huge component and a key piece for some things that will happen later on in this series. Um, On a smaller note, Hurt getting pretty full of himself about making Sergeant about passing that test. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that. Uh, And, uh, you know, also McNulty... When they put the cuffs, they finally put the bracelets rather on Avon McNulty, telling Stringer, um, "I'll catch you later."
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, so he a couple things of a sign, a couple signs to come, I guess you could say. Now you know I'm not gonna let Stringer Bell escape. You know I'm not gonna. You know I'm not gonna let him escape. Right
1: here, here come the hating. What you got? What you got? This? It's just we have
0: we have devoted a huge percentage of this podcast to talking about the very heartfelt. Um and very tough moment of seeing Wallace die about how the system was just against him and how this kid never had a chance and of course it was Stringer who ultimately gave the code red to Bodie which of course engineered the murder of Wallace because Stringer Bell I will get I will get you people on my side because I'm tired of y'all tweeting me with these half-ass um, sort of uh, these half-assed pleas for why I should see Stringer Bell differently, other than being a complete elitist asshole, <laughs> you got y'all can keep coming with him. I, I got time anytime it's a Stringer Bell conversation. But the fact that this cold-hearted bastard was the one who caught the hit on Paul Little Wallace. Wallace ain't do shit but help him out, right? Did he not help him find Brandon? He did. He did. And in the yeah. end, what does Stringer do? He does what he often has. What what he often has a habit of in this series he of course treats him like he's disposable which sets off an entirely new chain of events because of Wallace's close relationship with DeAngelo. So, once again, for the thousandth time and I'll say it a thousand more times, fuck Stringer Bell.
1: Okay, so here's a couple of things about why your credibility with Stringer Bell is so compromised with the way down <laughs> in the whole fence. One reason is because you you criticize him for eating fruit during a global pandemic. When we all need vitamins at the farmers market. At the farmers market, you criticize him for eating vegetables. Okay, number two is this on a Saturday. You
0: and all him and all the soccer moms going shopping at the farmers market. Congratulations! As
1: much as much as I waxed sort of inartfully earlier about what the death of Wallace means not only to the show but to television and to its uh, it, it it's really not just one of the most important scenes in this series it's actually one of the most important scenes in television history because this is one of the most important shows in television history and like you said earlier this is the scene where the show loses any semblance of innocence that it has uh, you won't see innocence in this show again for a couple of seasons okay so Wallace was snitching oh, 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 oh now Wallace oh, oh, was wait wait, wait, wait 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 so here's the deal they Stringer was right. Wallace had like like you you're looking at this from a Stringer Bell glass half empty situation. New headline. Stringer, Stringer
0: than okay with the killing of a child.
1: I'm not okay <laughs> with the killing of a child. What I'm saying is that Stringer is all business, right? He is the dick Cheney of uh the there, Barksdale organization. I'm saying, you know, cuz here's the thing. Like Dick Cheney, hate Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney basically Darth Vader. But if you need somebody to get the fucking job done and not care about how they look getting it done, every single sinister organization needs a Dick Cheney kind of guy.
0: Trigger Bell would definitely shoot somebody in the ass on a hunting trip. On a hunting definitely. trip, definitely, definitely right? shoot one of his boys. Definitely would do right that. because
1: with him, it's about it's not about morality. It's not about family. It's about power, acquiring what you need. And anyone that stands in the way of that is going to get in front of a bullet. And that was what Wallace. Now, did, now, could if Stringer had a bigger heart, could he have maybe been talk, talked out of it by D? Yeah, maybe. But Stringer Bell is in the position that he's in. Remember, he's the queen because he's a go-get-shit-done person. And it's not the last time he's going to have to make a tough decision when everybody else's heart is in the mix. So. Well, to me, this is a precursor to that.
0: Okay, right? About up. that, About that later tough decision that he has mm-hmm. to make, in which I'm so thrilled because, you know, as he's breaking it down to Avon, Avon reads him for filth in only yeah. the way that that Stringer fucking deserves. So mm. that's fine. But, again, fuck Stringer bail. Uh Anything <laughs> in this particular episode that aged the best for you?
1: Um toxic masculinity <laughs> <laughs> undefeated, <laughs> right. undefeated. I hate, I hate. uh toxic masculinity age is the best like we're, we we have conversations about it now and about you know how to be a more comprehensive man and be a man that's like uh, more in touch with the people around you to make them feel safe secure and sort of uh sort of empowered and what you see in this episode is that uh everyone's toxic masculinity is on. Full display now there's people that's listening to this right now and goes oh here goes van is railing against masculinity no i'm not railing against masculinity at all i never would i'm railing against the perversion of masculinity that leads to the usury degradation and harmful treatment of people around you and we see that in this episode we see it from stringer when stringer asks bodie right Uh, to put in work against his best friend. He goes, you a soldier? And Bodie says, yes. So are you man enough to be in this? When Bodie's looking at Wallace, Wallace is in his last moments. Bodie wants Wallace to go out like a man. At that particular point, Wallace is going out. So, I mean, the the, the going out like, like a man situation, either you go out or you don't. All right? Now, if you're not hurting anybody else, the dignity is all about the perception of the person handling behind the gun. Oh, yeah, he went out like a man. He killed him. He's dead. He, he, he lost the game. You know, we see it from McNulty uh, in this episode, sort of kind of taking everything on him and admitting that it was his ego um, and not any actual care about the community that, uh, that made him set all of this into the motion, that really got Kima shot, that really got Wallace killed, all of this came from the ego, the toxic ego of one guy. That is not to say that there was not a reason to investigate the Barksdale organization or try to uh, slow down their drug dealing in West Baltimore. That's not to say that at all. But it is to say that we see just how um, we, we talk about it all the time in different systems today, but just how ego and bravado and all of that stuff you know—it gets people killed. It gets people killed, um, and in this episode, the cyclical nature of it is on full display to me.
0: Yeah, it is a, a prevailing theme throughout this because what strikes you is is that there are differing definitions of what they think manhood actually is and right. how off base it is. I mean, we made the comparison when we first discussed Wallace uh, in this in this um, in season one about how Bodie perceives him to be a man in one way. And he is really doing something quite manly by taking care of some children who aren't even his, as far as we know. They're, right. they're just abandoned kids that he just um, is trying to give a home. And for that matter, taking care of himself and shouldering all the stuff that he has. Uh, to me, what aged the best in this episode is the charms of Lester Freeman. They mm. age incredibly well. You Lester like pulls, you know, I'm just, you know, instead of a pimp named Slick Bag, he's a pimp named Lester Freeman
1: because... Oh! That yo, is a good pimp name, though.
0: Yo, Lester Freeman, excellent pimp name. And, yeah, he pimping. Yo, and Lester goes in for the kill. He sees Sid Nor, He He's sniffing around him some Chardines. He sees it. Mm-hmm. He sees mm-hmm. the game. He peeps the play. And right. what does Lester do? Nah, son, I got the coffee. Oh, you right. like it with... Oh, with cream, two sugars? Yeah, I know how you right. like your coffee. There's nothing women like more than guys who have that sort of attention to detail, the thoughtfulness. It's one thing to get her a cup of coffee. It's another thing to be so thoughtful to know how she takes it.
1: Right. That's also <laughs> stunning on your man, too. Totally. It's that. That's also stunning on your guy. Like, like, you get the coffee. Nah, I know how she tastes the coffee. This guy oh, doesn't know how you take the I coffee. Because I spent
0: all the time with her. I done put all the work in, son. Yeah. I know this. Right? Mm-hmm. And then Lester even ups the stakes, ups the ante even more. Because when they're trying to figure out what to do with Shardine, because she's now become an informant for them. Lester volunteers his own place. What
1: about your stripper? Woman's got heart. I mean, I want to protect it. No more bodies here.
0: Well, I got room in my place. She can live with me. I got no problem with that. Remember who you are, detective. Protect and serve, lieutenant. Protect and Serve. Serve emphasis on serve so the the charm the beguiling charms of lester freeman will never be outdated well played lester well played um okay so on the opposite end was there
1: anything that that aged the worst for you uh the, the age the worst thing to me is always my hardest category i must say because Everything it's from 2002. So everything is pretty dated.
0: Uh, well, I, sometimes what I I feel like is the, the key when looking at what age the worst, if it's not like blatantly obvious, is you got to look for the little stuff, the little references. Mm. And one of them I caught from one of the abandoned kids that Wallace was taking care of when him and Poop uh, bring some Chinese food back to the abandoned house. One of the little kids mentions a song, and I, I forgot the, the, what the song was. I should have written it down. But he said he heard it on 106 in part.
1: Yeah.
0: RIP 106 in part.
1: RIP that, 106 in Park. Because that did shout not out, age. F- shout out Free, AJ, Roxy, Roxy, Terrence. Uh, I think Bow Wow was the on wire, that. For a man. Second. Yeah, I think Bow Wow was on that. And I know what the song was. The song was Big Timers. I won't forget that.
0: That age well, yeah.
1: yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay. The song was where the,
0: he heard it did not. <laughs> right,
1: he was like, so he was listening to that big Thomas man because South Louisiana, we all over the map with it. So he was listening to big <laughs> Timers. Shout
0: out to Southeast Louisiana. Um, there was one. Wait a minute, that was racist moment when okay. Brianna Barksdale is talking about Levy, and she says Tush. that Jew lawyer of yours and. Yeah. She gotta hit that like one would hit the hard ER. She hit that hard EW hard. Yeah.
1: That actually made me uncomfortable.
0: Yes. Like, she <laughs> hit it so hard. I was like, ooh. Oh, oh,
1: oh, I'm watching okay. it and I'm like, why you gotta be a, a Jew lawyer? Like, why What's something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I actually when I when I watched that back, I was like, ooh. Like, uh, like I'm, all right, you know, it comes from it comes from all over the place. We don't talk yes. about it a lot, but it comes from yeah, we we directions. Yeah, multiple. We we shoot arrows in the community sometimes <laughs> we too. We got some darts, we got right? Some darts. Yeah.
0: Uh, your if your hard care category is like sometimes what age the worst. Mine is always we love this show, but because yeah. I love so much about this, um, especially this episode, because I agree with you. I think this is the episode of season one, as in the best. They're all really good, and it's sometimes when you have a contest on the wire about like what. Episode is the best. It gets damn hard. But I think for season one, it was probably this one uh, for a lot of different reasons that we pointed out throughout it. So I didn't have anything that I was like, oh, yeah, but this. And I, yeah. I'm throwing it your way, lobbing it your way to see uh, if you had anything.
1: It's a perfect episode of television. There's not, there's not a we love this show, but. I, I don't feel necessary to, 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 to keep to every category on every podcast. This is a perfect episode of television. It's perfectly paced. It's Five it's stars. Five stars. It's perfectly paced. It's perfectly acted. Uh, the, the execution in the storytelling is flawless, and it's, it's, it's the culmination of so much. I got nothing.
0: All right. And uh, the moment of truth that I'm sure our listeners have been waiting for van who won this episode.
1: Ah, it's D'Angelo. I got D'Angelo winning this episode. I got, uh, I got, you know, this is just, it's so ridiculously well acted. He's got so many weighted, uh, weighty scenes in this one. This, this, like, this is the, one of the clearer victories, uh, to me, it, He's obviously this episode centers a lot on the tragedy surrounding Wallace's death. Right. Um, But in many ways, Wallace's character is a device Um is Wallace is almost like a prop. He's an innocence prop in the show. And that prop is used to push on one character more than any other character in the show. And that's D'Angelo. Uh, this is D'Angelo at his tipping point. He has the big scenes here with Stringer. He has the big scenes here with Stringer and Avon. He has the big scene um, with the police. So, uh, And it, him getting knocked by the cops while he's bringing the drugs um, or, or making a deal to get 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 the drugs from New York is also is another incredibly pivotal scene uh, in the entire trajectory um of the show. So I got it, I got it as D'Angelo.
0: I'm glad I trusted my instincts because um even though obviously you and I are different, we're also very like-minded. I originally was gonna go with D'Angelo as well for many of the same reasons that you stated. And I'll also add, I think for his character, considering he is, while he's not necessarily innocent or naive. I mean he's not like Wallace. I wouldn't put that in, in this category, but he is he very much they were the two remind me of each other and so from a, a personal standpoint i was just really happy to see him stand tall against his family mm. and for him to make a conscious decision about who he was trying to be and who he really was and there's a certain freedom that comes in that and so watching his character kind of evolve into somebody who had you know if we're building this all up who had seen some of his actions create some of the worst reactions by his family. And not just that, but just, um, you know, we're not that far removed from when uh, the young lady died at Stinkham's party. And so this has been building to this moment where he finally decided like, this is just too much for me. And so I was happy to see uh, D'Angelo evolve and get to that point. But for me, the winner of this episode who I ultimately went with was Daniels. Because we've all been in a situation, some of us are in that situation right now, where it is nothing more frustrating, particularly if you consider yourself to be somebody who's halfway intelligent, ambitious, and wants to do the right thing to work for people stupider than you. There's nothing worse than that, right? And so he has, for him to willingly confront, dare... Challenge Burrell, who is like the worst. I think there's an argument to be made that he's worse than Rawls, like easily. Mm. There's an argument to be made that he's worse because Rawls has had moments, right? right? We saw Rawls have some really big moments in the last episode because you picked him as, you know, dead on as you should have as the winner of that episode because we saw Rawls that he was capable of being the type of leader that could really send this department in a new direction. We saw it. You ain't never seen that shit with real Like, mm. he is a moron. And he's a... On top of that, he is... Um, He's not just, like, a moron. But he's basically... He's Steven. He's Steven from Django. That is him.
1: Wow. Like, yo, he's Steven. Wow.
0: Steven from Django? Yes. Who's that, that That's Burrell. Wow. The worst. The absolute okay. worst. All right? I mean, it just because... He's, he doesn't, he's not necessarily showing that allegiance to a Calvin Candy mm-hmm. per se, but his Calvin Candy is definitely Clay Davis. Definitely wow. Clay Davis. Right. It's like, okay. This,
1: right. Hey, Hey, look, man, the, the, there is no bigger insult than to call a black character, Stephen from Django. I watched Django a couple of days ago. I, I don't see how Samuel Jackson doesn't wait, uh, walk away with the Academy award for that. Cause it is just crazy that car- That's a crazy character right there.
0: In the big house, yes. In the in the big house, <laughs> <Yes>.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Got to burn the sheets and everything. I can't stand Burrell, right? And for Daniels to get in his ass to be like, "What you gonna do, man? Do it. Drop your file." I was like, "Yes, get him, Daniels. Get him." Because I always knew that that was in Daniels. It was. It was. It was buried. But now the dead has arisen. Da- <laughs> Daniels about to lead us to freedom. He leads Point <laughs> to the North Star Daniels.
1: You is got this. Is Daniels Django then?
0: Mm. Ooh. See, I got to keep in mind how this ends. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right.
1: Yeah. I got to right. keep
0: in mind how this is. So I, I don't know if he's quite okay. Django. But we ain't going that far. We ain't I going getcha. that far. But I'm prepared right. to go as far as the call B-Rail Stevens. I am gotcha. totally prepared for that. So anyway, Daniels was, was my big winner. Uh, For all the bars that he dropped on, both him and Clay Daniels. Uh, He was a man of the people. And so, appreciated that. Uh, Anyway, that's going to do it. Oh, wait. Trivia. I almost forgot trivia.
1: Oh, almost forgot trivia. Look at that, man. I'm slipping. You got Wait. You've
0: been killing it on the trivia. So, I feel like you have something. I don't. Okay. Because you've been killing it. The last one that you dropped, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So... Uh, just a little inside information that learned from uh, All the Pieces Matter. When it came to Wallace uh, and the way that his death scene unfolded, Simon, David Simon, and Ed Burns had a big disagreement about how that should be played. And Ed Burns took serious issue with them making Bodie, uh, his, making his hand tremble, making it seem like he kind of needed to be hyped up to do it, but him basically turning a little bit soft in that moment, Ed Burns thought it went against uh, the character that they had developed, that they were like, we, as he put it, they had developed Bodhi into a psychopath. So for him to get in that moment and doubt himself and flinch and show some vulnerability, he thought that was the wrong move. And he disagreed and he wanted Bodhi to be a soldier and play up to the character that they felt that they had built. So hmm. there was some disagreement behind the scenes about how this was to play out. Um, And a lot of the actors, they all showed up, the other cast members of The Wire, to see this particular scene and just to be there. And, uh, you know, they threw a little uh, celebration for Michael B. Jordan afterwards. And Mm -hmm. that became a trend on The Wire that every time a character was killed, they would hold something after. Which is kind of a file this way away for later moment because we see some of that, how that takes place in the form in the show of The Wire about celebrating characters who are no longer there, so
1: and I have, and by the way, by way of a guy who I'm gonna throw a little hint in, a guy who manages me, is a dude named Rondé Garrett. I know Rondé. Okay. Right, one particular character's end. I have a little inside story oh, on it. Oh, when it when, when, it, when the time comes, know, and if you know who, if you if you might know some other people that Rondé handles. You might know what I'm talking about, but I got a nice little inside story about uh, the end of another character in in, in some seasons in the future where it's a little tidbit right there.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that is called a tease in our business. (laughs) Good good job, Van. Uh, And I guess uh, speaking of a tease uh, uh, on the next episode, it will be the season finale of season one that is up next where – everything comes full circle. So we're definitely looking forward to talking about that. But until then, all right, we're for real this time. We're getting out of here. Um, As always, thank you guys for your support. Uh, Keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We will see you next time.